0: Hi there, welcome to the Causeway Coast Vineyard podcast. We are a church who are passionate about seeing the transformation of individuals and institutions in our city through the generations to see all things new in our community. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. It's good to be here, isn't it? What, what a gift it is to be in the room, what a gift it is to be surrounded by family, um, again in real life, it's just so good, even though we're, we're two metres apart or whatever, it's still so good to see to see eyes, isn't it? <laughs> it's so good. But guys, as, as Janet was even pointing out, if you're from Northern Ireland or in Northern Ireland this morning and you're joining us online, uh, we've been in the middle of um, a quickening of returning, haven't we? It's been a really exciting couple of weeks. Um, Just two weeks ago, I believe, it was the hairdressers and the barber shops. Who's had their first cut? Oh, yes, we've had a few, yeah. As you can see, I haven't. And the first person I met this morning was a guy who's in training for barbering. So that was a little bit of an embarrassing moment. I I need to get my hair cut. But on Friday, um, some more restrictions were eased. The returning is picking up pace. Um, I believe you can now gather, is it up to 15 people from like three households in your garden? Um, Gyms have reopened has no impact on my life. And retail has reopened. And as you can see from my wardrobe, I'm in no need of any more color. So um, that isn't impacting me. And then also, I think you can now go out for dinner and sit outside. So faith levels are on the rise in Northern Ireland because booking a table here more than two hours in advance to sit outside, that is what requires faith. But it's, it's really exciting. We are in the middle of returning, and just as we've been physically returning over the last number of weeks, here as a family at Cosby Coast Vineyard, we've been exploring what it looks like for us to be a people who return to the fullness of who God is in this season, and return to the fullness of who he has created us to be. It's been an exciting time, it's been a fun time exploring that the God we've come to meet with is a God who is inviting us to return to him. Whether we know Jesus this morning, whether we don't know Jesus this morning, whether we've been following for 100 years, that would be impressive, or you've just been following him for one week, he's a God who's inviting us to return to him this morning or whenever we're listening to this. That's the nature of the God we've come to meet with. God is a God of returning. And just last week, um, Trey was kind of picking up the story um, that we've been exploring over the last number of weeks, and that's been a story of returning straight out of Scripture. It's a story of the children of Israel who were exiled. They were pushed out of their own land into a land called Babylon for 70 years. They were in their lockdown. They were in their isolation. They were in their place of separation. And we've been exploring that God's heart was to draw his people back to himself, that his heart was to draw his people back to the fullness of who he had designed them to be by bringing them out of exile and back into the city of Jerusalem so that they could once again become a people who orientate their lives around his presence. And last week, Trey was telling us, can you remember about the second temple that they were building there, where they gathered around the foundations of the second temple in order to celebrate its completion. And he was telling us that those who gathered that day would have heard the stories of the first temple celebration. And if you remember, He told us how the glory of God came in that first temple and how the smoke and the fire fell and the ministers and the priests were literally unable to carry out their work because of the tangible sense of God's glory. And so these descendants of, of those guys, of those people who gathered and seen all that amazing stuff, they gathered around the foundations of the second temple, and they had this expectation that this is what God was going to do. He was going to do exactly what he had done before. He was going to do what they expected that he would always do. And as they gathered, it didn't happen. It didn't happen in the way they thought it would happen. It didn't come in the way they thought the glory would come. And it's this moment of mourning where the elders, it says the elders who remembered the first temple, they began to wail out loud. But then on the other hand, there was the young people and they were super excited because they didn't remember any of that stuff. And so they were just super expecting for what God might do. It's this moment of mourning, this moment of celebration. It's really confusing. It's a really confusing moment in the story. Kind of like this year, isn't it? There's been moments of, of deep, deep, deep mourning, moments of deep, deep, deep pain, coupled with these moments of celebration. But the people keep on doing what God had asked them to do. They keep on building the temple. But I'm gonna pick up another part of the story today where the confusion continues, it's very exciting. Basically, what happens is there's a bunch of neighbors who are watching the people who are building the temple, and they come to the guys who are building the temple and say, Look, can we play? Can we join in? Can we partner with you in building this temple? And the guys who are overseeing the temple, they say no. And then they begin to experience opposition. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open it Ezra 4? That's where we're going to be looking at today. Um, and we pick up the story in Ezra 4, verse 4. <clears throat> Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. And so as the children of Israel begin moving towards God and his intention for their lives and for their community's life, they begin to experience opposition. They begin to experience resistance for moving towards returning to the presence of God. They begin to experience opposition for returning to his intention and design for their lives. And eventually they do what we all want to do when things get tough. They stop. They become apathetic. They become distracted. They become deeply confused and frustrated. And eventually they just throw in the towel and they say, this is, this is too much. Moving towards God in the season is too much for us to cope with. And the final blow comes when they receive a letter from the king. Now please forgive me for my pronunciation of names here. So verse 23, when the letter from King Artaxerxes was read to Rehum, Shimshai, what a name, and their colleagues, they hurried to Jerusalem. Then with a show of strength, they forced the Jews to stop building. So the work on the temple of God in Jerusalem had stopped and it remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. Read that verse 24 again. So the work of the temple of God in Jerusalem had stopped and it remained at a standstill. The people had become so overwhelmed by the opposition that was before them that they just decided that they had to throw in the towel this invitation to move towards God and his presence, which in the Old Testament structure was the temple, and they just couldn't do it anymore, and so they decided to throw in the towel. Opposition. It really sucks, doesn't it? Opposition's kind of like the Brussels sprouts on Christmas Day. No one really wants it. Although when I, when I read the Bible and when I read the stories of the early followers of Jesus opposition seems to be this holy place to be. I don't fully understand that. I'll try and unpack some of what I've been journeying through that over the last couple of weeks, but opposition seems to be this holy place to be. You have Moses, David, Esther, Daniel, Gideon, and just about every Old Testament prophet. You have Mary, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Paul, and again, just about every earlier follower of Jesus, as they moved towards God's intention for their lives, as they moved toward God's intention for their community, they were faced with opposition. And Jesus, he had a whole lot to say about opposition, the one who ultimately faced opposition. And he said this in Matthew 5:10: a really famous passage of scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount, and he said this: Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when you are opposed because of righteousness. And righteousness, I know it's a word we, we hear often hear a lot, but I, I don't know about you, I didn't understand it for a long time. But righteousness is simply moving towards God and moving towards his intention for our lives. And so what Jesus is saying in this moment, if you're moving towards God and his intention for your life and you're being opposed, you're blessed. That's a lot to hear. That's a lot to take in. Jesus is saying in this moment that if you're moving towards me, and you're moving towards what I desire for your life, for your community's life, for your family's life, then you're going to experience opposition. And when you do, you're blessed. And so what we're not talking about this morning is we're not talking about the opposition that we experience for doing something silly, or the opposition that we experience for maybe doing something slightly destructive. So um, if you've been caught speeding and you've had to pay a you know, a speeding ticket, thankfully I haven't. It's not the kind of opposition we're speaking about this morning. We're talking about the opposition that we face as we move towards God and we move towards his intention for our lives, as we practise following him, as we practise moving towards his intention. The opposition we are talking about this morning is the opposition we may experience in the workplace because we decided to act with integrity. You didn't get that job promotion that you knew you were entitled to because you refused to manipulate the numbers on the page. Or the opposition you experience when you know God has challenged you in the realm of generosity and there was maybe a specific number that you felt you were supposed to give away and then all of a sudden, a bill comes through the door out of nowhere to the exact amount that you chose to give away. Or the opposition that you may experience when you choose to represent Jesus by sharing your life-giving, transforming story with your friends and now all of a sudden you're being treated as a little bit weird or the opposition you're maybe experiencing at home because you've decided to go all in for Jesus and now you're walking this tension continually of being misunderstood. You know, that's the kind of opposition that we're talking about this morning, the opposition that we experience when we return to Him, when we return to His intention, when we return to His design, when we return to His Presence, just as those Israelites faced opposition as they returned to. But today, I want us to reframe opposition. Remember, I said earlier that throughout the Bible, opposition seems to be a holy place to be. If that's true, then opposition doesn't need to be our debilitator it can actually become our indicator. If opposition truly is a holy place to be, and we're gonna unpack that in just a little moment, if it truly is a holy place to be, then when we experience opposition, it doesn't need to become our debilitator, it can actually function as our indicator. Our indicator that points us towards the magnitude of who God is, and the magnitude of what he has for our story. And if opposition can be our indicator, then the level of opposition that we experience might just be indicating the level of what God has for us. In fact, let me put it this way. Sometimes it's only when we experience the strength of the opposition that we begin to understand the strength of the God who's behind us. Sometimes it's only when we begin to experience the strength of the opposition that's before us that we begin to understand the magnitude of the God who is for us, of the God who is working through us, and the God who is seeking to reveal and uncover his destiny and kingdom before us. And let's unpack that a little bit more. On this journey of returning, we are going to experience opposition. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to experience opposition. And if not today tomorrow, if not tomorrow, someday. I know that's really good news, but in 1 Peter we read quite a bit about this and it says that we're actually not to be surprised when we face opposition. We're not to be surprised when we face opposition. And that's because heavenly opportunity is always met with earthly opposition. Heavenly opportunity is always met with earthly opposition. But we get a choice to make today. We get a choice as to whether that opposition functions as our debilitator or it functions as our indicator. Can we pray, would that be okay? It'd be really funny if y'all just went no. i love it just to close our eyes. I think already maybe some of this stuff has just been, it's, it is heavy, like my goodness, we're talking about opposition in church. That's just heavy stuff, but I was just reading this morning, how with the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And I believe Jesus wants to, I think in this moment, just do almost like a reworking of this stuff. Yeah, so Holy Spirit come. We know that where you are, there is freedom. We know that where you are, there is liberty. We know that where you are, Jesus, you are, because Holy Spirit, you love to lead us into a revelation of who Jesus is. You love to lead us into the fullness of who Jesus is. And so Holy Spirit, we need you right now. We need you to lead us in this moment. We need you to lead us to see opposition as opportunity. We need you to lead us into the fullness of your freedom, the fullness of your liberty. So how on earth can opposition function as opportunity? How can my family misunderstanding me, my colleagues avoiding me, my anxiety overwhelming me actually function as an indicator towards who God is and an indicator towards what he has for me? I imagine you might be thinking that sounds a little bit like wishful thinking coming from the young kid at the front of the room. I get it, it's okay. I have had the privilege of being a part of this family for a long time, and the more I get to know you, the more I'm in awe of your faithfulness, the more I'm in awe of the, that that scripture I'm reminded of even just right now is that faithful cloud of witnesses that you are to the grace and to the power and to the glory of God. And so this morning, I get it. We're not trying to minimize the opposition we experience. We're not trying to say, oh, it's all fine. What we are seeking to do is engage with God in this conversation of rethinking and redefining what opposition looks like as we return to who he is and what he has for us. And so this morning, I'm not seeking to give you my opinion. What I am seeking to do is to extract the fullness that this book has for us. I'm seeking that we would step into this book together and experience the fullness of who God is, the fullness of what he has called us to so that we might become a people of this book. If you forget everything I say today, like I mean everything, if we can, if we can leave this room with one thing together, can it be that we become a people of this word? because in this word is life, in this word is what fuels radical, life-changing encounters with the presence and the heart of God. And so my heart is that even over these next few moments that we would unpack a little bit more about how opposition can become our opportunity through this book. I'm not seeking to try and share my opinion because honestly it's not that good. But what I am trying to do is submit to this book. I'm trying to understand it and I'm trying to learn what it looks like that we would be a people who walk in the fullness of what God has said is available for each and every one of us this morning. No matter where we are, no matter what we're navigating, no matter how hard things are, no matter how difficult this week has been, I believe God is in the business of restoration. We've already heard about it this morning, and I believe he's in the business of inviting us to return to the fullness of who he is. So will you join me? Let's go. So as followers of Jesus, as we're learning to walk in the ways of Jesus, as we're learning to follow Jesus, we know that we have an opposition. In fact, there's gonna be a verse that comes up onto the screen. This guy Paul in Ephesians 6, he says this. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This enemy that we're reading about or that we're learning about, he desires to stop us walking into the fullness of who God has created us to be in the fullness of what God has for our community. This enemy, elsewhere in the Bible, it says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Whether we follow Jesus or we don't follow Jesus, that's the business of the enemy. He's desiring to disrupt. He's desiring to frustrate the plans and the redemptive work of God upon the earth, even though he can't. That's his desire, and that's what he's attempting to do. Here's a massive spoiler alert, he's defeated. He's defeated. He is a defeated enemy, which means he has limited resources, he is not like God, he is not God's rival, he is not on the same weight category as God, he is a defeated being. It's kinda like me jumping in the ring with Mike Tyson. It's not a pretty experience. It's like comparing the fighting capabilities of a lion with an insect. It's an inappropriate comparison. God and the devil are not on the same wavelength. Now, if I'm really honest, I maybe only began to understand this over the last year. I didn't understand. I kind of had this image of God and the devil, you know, fighting it out. And one day it was God's day, one day it was the devil's day, one day it was God's day, one day it was the devil's day. But then I began to understand that that's just not true at all. The devil is a defeated being. He is a defeated creature. And so when we sing that song, I love it so much. That song, what a beautiful name. Do you know where we declare you have no rival? You have no equal now and forever god you reign for yours is the kingdom yours is the power yours is the name above every other name it is not uh, we're not trying to escape our earthly circumstances by singing a song that's hyping us up to face the weak we're introducing the reality of heaven into our here and now yes god and so all that to say that if we're experiencing opposition today from a limited, defeated, under-resourced enemy, then you and I are of significant threat to his agenda. You and I are of significant threat to his desire to frustrate the plans of God, to disrupt the plans of God, and to distract the plans of God. Now, as I said before, I'm not for one second seeking to diminish the experience of opposition. I'm not one moment trying to diminish the pain of our earthly circumstances. That's not what I even think God is desiring to do. We read throughout the Bible continually, time and time again, and then when Jesus appears on the scene in the fullest revelation of who God is, we read time and time again that he moves with compassion. He's not seeking to say, come on. He's not seeking to say any of those things. He's seeking to invite us to walk into the fullness of what he has for us. And so if we're being opposed today by a limited, under-resourced enemy, in whatever way that looks, we are a significant threat to his agenda. And so in this way, opposition has the potential to lead us into opportunity. When I understand that what I'm walking towards is a threat to the enemy, and when I I understand what I'm walking towards is freaking him out, for lack of a better term, then it fills me with holy confidence that I'm moving towards what God has for me. And in this way, opposition doesn't need to distract us from worship, it can actually begin to fuel our worship In this way, opposition doesn't need to distract us from who God is and what he has for us. It can actually sharpen our focus and lead us closer to who he is and lead us closer to the intention that he has for us. Yes, Lord. But what does this look like on Tuesday afternoon? (laughs) When we're standing in work and This idea of leaning into more of who God is and what He has for our workplace just seems overwhelming. What does this look like when you're maybe at home during the week and you've been contending for a son or you've been contending for a daughter in prayer and it just looks like we've just gone 10 steps back. What does this look like? How can that opposition become opportunity? How can opposition that is so overwhelming become an indicator towards what God has for us. Let's jump back into our story. Ezra five, verses one and two. At that time, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Idu, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem. They prophesied in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua son of Jehoshadak, responded by starting again to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them and helped them. What did Israel do in their moment of greatest weakness? What did Israel do in their moment when they were overwhelmed by the opposition that was before them? They returned to the voice of God. Did the opposition cease? We don't have time today, but if you read on that chapter, we find out that the opposition absolutely did not cease. But God spoke to a broken, empty, discouraged group of people, his favorite company, and he spoke his life-giving words that transformed their posture, that transformed their perspective to once again see that what God had for them who he was was well worth pressing through. It was costing them their reputation. It was costing them their safety. It was costing them everything. But whatever God had to say, and we'll, we'll look at that just now, led them once again back to who he was. The opposition didn't see but the voice of God led them to himself and they pressed through the opposition to step into the fullness of what God had for them. And so I don't know about you, but when I read a passage like that, I'm like, what could God say to a people who are so discouraged? What could God say to a people who are so overwhelmed that would lead them back into what God had for them, even though it was costing them everything? Now, before the days of just, I have no phone on me, but before the days where you could just whip out your phone and and capture it, you used to have to write things down. Trace told me about these days before. Uh, we used to have to carry around like a notebook or something and a, a pen. Is that right? Yeah, a pen. And you used to have to, you know, you know, you'd have to write down. A, I know these guys wouldn't have had pen and paper. But before you could just whip out your phone and capture a moment, you had to write it down. And thankfully, the guys that we just read about called Haggai and Zechariah, well, they had to also write down what God was saying. They had to write it down in order that it could be shared, in order that it could be re-spoken, in order that it could be re-declared. They wrote it down in a book, and we are gonna read straight out of that book so we can find out exactly what it was God had to say to this broken, discouraged group of people that once again led them back into the fullness of what he had for them. And so, So we're gonna look at Haggai. Again, what a fantastic name, Um, Haggai. And we're gonna read chapter two, You can go and read that book for yourself. Some of it's a little bit confusing, if I'm honest with you. This kind of whole period of history is quite confusing. We're going to look at this passage. This is a passage we'll be exploring again over the next number of weeks. I think Neil's going to be picking some um, of this passage up. Um, But it's very key to this moment. It's key to this moment of God's people once again stepping back in to return to the fullness of who he is and what he has for them. So let's read it together, Haggai 2.6. For this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the ocean and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken." Now, for just a moment, remember the context of what Haggai is speaking into. You remember, Trey last week told us that the glory didn't come in the way they thought it was going to come, that the, the fire and the smoke didn't fall the way it had done in the previous generations. Well, Haggai comes along and he prophesies and he said, Look, just because you haven't seen the glory of God come in the way you had expected it, just because you didn't see the glory of God fall the way you thought it would fall, God is still coming. He is still going to move in a greater measure, in a greater glory. And we eventually find out that that greater glory is Jesus. This is the very temple, remember Trey touched on it last week, this is the temple that Jesus stepped into. Yes, it didn't happen the way we expected, yes, it didn't come in the way we thought it would come, but Jesus was and is coming. And that is what this guy is beginning to prophesy about. And prophecy, all that is is just declaring what God is saying through a human voice, declaring what God is saying. And he's prophesying and he's saying, look, your current structures, your current systems are not gonna be ready to contain what it is God is seeking to do. His voice led them to glory. Why don't you stand with me? And uh, if you're able, please feel free to stay seated If if it's more. Why don't we close our eyes just to, I don't know about you, but it helps me focus. You see, this is the nature of the voice of God. It leads us straight to Him. It's the only reason we would ever practice hearing His voice is because we wanna learn how we go straight to Him. We wanna learn how we move closer to him. We wanna learn what it looks like to be a people who walk in his ways. And so sometimes we just practice hearing his voice. And as I said, the greatest way that we get to hear his voice is through the Bible. It is alive with hundreds, thousands of words directly from God that speak right into the depths of your story. If you don't have a Bible, I would lo- why don't you grab me after the service? I would love to get you one. Because I believe that in the Bible is the life and the Word of God when His, pre- when his Spirit is presence, those words have the potential to transform the trajectory of not just our own individual lives but the trajectory of nations. But another way that God can speak to us and the way I would love us to just practice this morning is through silence. I hate silence too, it's okay. <laughs> We've practiced silence a lot this year, haven't we? We've had to wait a lot longer than usual. We've had to wait outside shops. We've had to wait outside supermarkets, restaurants, takeaways, just about everywhere. And we're often confronted with these moments of silence. And for me, one of the reasons that honestly I'm afraid of silence is because in silence I often find out how I'm really doing. I often find out that my soul maybe isn't as at rest as I thought it was. <laughs> my soul maybe isn't, maybe isn't as uh, calm and as still as I often represent around other people. But just as we find out how we're doing in moments of stillness and silence, the Bible tells us in Psalm 46 that when we be still, we get to know God. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. And so if a moment of awkwardness (laughs) might just facilitate us meeting and knowing God, I'm willing to look a little bit silly. And so Holy Spirit, God with us, we ask right now that you would just come and reveal the nature of who you are. Would you come and reveal who you are? God, would you speak words that speak right into the depths of our opposition, just like Haggai prophesied in those days to the discouraged people? to the broken people, to the empty people. God, would you prophesy and speak your words right into the depths of our circumstances today? And so we're just gonna practice waiting. i um didn't plan on sharing this today. Um, this is one of those off the map moments um, m- Many of you guys who know me and who know my parents um, you-, you may know that as a kid i was I was told I had a thing called chronic anxiety um I very quickly discovered that my biggest fear was people stopping what they were doing in order to listen to me. I very quickly discovered that my biggest fear was people stopped what they were doing and would just take note of me. Because I was afraid I would get something wrong that could be held against me. I just a whole bunch of anxiety, a whole bunch of fear. And if I'm honest, that is the biggest area of opposition that I experience in my life. It's just it often shows its head at moments of, of significance. It often shows its head in, in moments of uh, moving towards God and moving towards His intention in my life. And the reason I share that is because I believe there's some others in the room today and also online who are joining us who that, that's your story too. And I think even over the last couple of weeks, as things have been returning physically, there's been an increase in the anxiety you've been experiencing. Maybe even for the first time, I think for some of you it's never been something you've, you've had to deal with before but all of a sudden as, as you return, even walking down the street is becoming this overwhelming experience. I believe God just wants to release you today. We prayed halfway through the service that where he is, there's freedom. And so if that's you this morning, why don't you just place your hands out in front of you? There's no cameras um, capturing anyone in the room right now. So why don't you just um, place your hands out in front of you? And I would just love to pray right now. Yeah, I see. So Holy Spirit, right now, we just invite your presence to come. You're already here. So God, would you teach us what it looks like to return to you? Would you teach us what it looks like to turn to you right now in this moment? That, God, your presence would set us free from anxiety. That your presence would set us free from, that, that God, you would enable us to take thoughts captive right now in this moment. That freedom would come in this room and online wherever you are. That anxiety would no longer have the final say, but your voice, Lord, would have the final say that when anxiety rears its head, we would get excited for what God might just be doing. And I know that's completely counter to what anxiety often tells us. And so God, right now, we speak your freedom. We speak your liberty. I'm sorry, I think we're... I think we're supposed to do something a little bit different right now. Would you come with me? Do you know sometimes we have to physically declare with our bodies what it is God is doing. And what I think that looks like right now is I think it's a, it's a clap <laughs> and it's a moment of celebration. I know this is gonna be awkward. I'm the one at the front of the room. <laughs> and so... I'm gonna count down from three and we're gonna begin to celebrate because of the freedom of Jesus. We're gonna begin to celebrate that opposition no longer has the final say because when Jesus is in the room, the odds begin to change. And so in three seconds, (laughs) we're gonna celebrate with all that we are because of who he is. Let's do it. Three, two, one. Yes, Lord, we love you. Yes. You're so worthy this morning, God. We thank you for who you are. Yes, Lord. Yes. Thank you. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Yes. Ha ha. Yes, Lord. We love you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So, Lord, thank you for your freedom. Thank you for your liberty this morning. And I pray that as we leave this place, Lord, we would walk from glory to glory, that we would step into greater measures of your glory as we go beyond the confines of this meeting, as we go beyond the limitations of this room, that we would begin to see more of who you are, that we would walk into more of what you have for us and that God, as opposition rears its head this week, next week, in the months, and the years to come, God, may we be equipped with your tools to see it as heavenly opportunity. Would we be more aware of what it is you're doing than what the enemy is seeking to destroy us from. God, we love you and it's all for you. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast today. For more information, resources and opportunities, you can check us out at CosbyCoastVignard.com